Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Catherine. What's up? Hello. Hello. Hi. So do you hear this sound? Yes. That's the sound of a traditional pen. Ew, it's so gross. I wasn't going to go with gross, but I mean, you could just throw it out there. Oh, cringeworthy. <laughs> so if you know me, I'm always taking notes. I'm always writing things down. And one of the challenges with that, I love writing stuff on paper with old school pens. However, capturing that stuff, quantifying it, organizing it in a way that I can use it later, maybe not my strong suit. If anyone's seen all. all the note cards around our studio, it's intense. <laughs> That's why I'm really excited for today's new contest and... We have a partnership going with Beta. You've seen the contest that we're running. We're giving away really cool tech. And today's tech is no different. Today's tech is the Neolab Convergence Smart Pen. The M1 Smart Pen. I'm using it now. Do you hear anything? No. That's because it's smart. It's a smart (laughs) pen. So when you're writing with this pen, you're going to be able to take pages of notes. They're going to be recorded. They're going to be, you're going to be able to use these later on. How many pages you ask? Catherine, guess, guess how many pages you can take? Uh, 50. Okay. 2,000. <laughs> 1,000. So just, just with this pen, it looks like a normal pen. Uh, I love that it's fluorescent. I love that it's bright. And I can't wait to start using this more. So it connects to your computer or your uh, Android or your Apple device via Bluetooth. And I'm really excited to just start, yeah, getting that, you know, keeping that tactile experience going, but also being able to record stuff better. I agree. We're giving away two of them. One of them we're trying out. So make sure you go to mission.org slash giveaway. When you enter, you're going to get one entry to win. You can get more entries by referring more subscribers to our daily newsletter. So stay tuned. And we have more contests and more great content in the works. I was like perfect in college. Like I was like, why? Why isn't this like the magical Harry Potter pen riding into like, you know? And now it's true. That's so crazy. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily, selected as Best of 2018 by Apple. Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. On today's episode, our mission producer, Hillary, sits down with Brian Linton. Brian is the founder and CEO of United by Blue, an outdoor brand focused on ocean and waterway conservation. For every product sold, United by Blue removes one pound of trash from our world's oceans and waterways through company-organized cleanups. In this episode, Hillary and Brian discuss his origin story and how growing up outside of the U.S. shaped his worldview early on, how he scaled United by Blue to more than 1,000 stores nationally, and the importance of cleaning up our oceans and waterways. I read online that you're also like the chief garbage cleaner or chief garbage picker upper what there's something sure, about garbage. that's that's that is definitely a, a playful way of describing my my, my work as well <laughs> haven't used that much recently as we've quote unquote grown up but yeah chief trash collector mm-hmm, there it is um so tell me a little bit about you your origin story i know you grew up overseas mm-hmm. um tell me I, i'd love to learn a little bit about you growing up and what led you to form a United by Blue. You've had, you had a business prior to this. You're a young entrepreneur. So I want to hear the origin story. Sure. Um, I, I spent the first, the majority of my, my early years in, in Asia. Mm-hmm. So moved to Japan when I was one and then eventually moved to Singapore and then came back to the United States um, when I was like 18, 19. So most of my, all of my foundational years were in, in Asia. And so when I was when I was growing up overseas, the the 
the the things that inspired me the most had to do with the aquatic world. I had 30 fish tanks in my bedroom growing up where I had thousands of different fish. I would breed them. I would sell the babies back to pet stores and fund my hobby. Um, I sold one fish when I graduated high school for like a thousand dollars, and that was oh, the yeah. the pinnacle of my my fish <laughs> you success. <made> it. Yeah, <laughs> and then when I came to the states, and you know, this is my 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 homeland, my ancestors. I, I was very I was I was struggling to 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 find something here of meaning, something that made me, made me happy. And so I started to really think about business in a way of, of filling that, that, that void of, of time that I had of maybe lack of connections that I had. And I, I started to think about what I could do and I, I wanted to import jewelry and then sell it and donate money to ocean conservation because mm-hmm. I love the idea of, of helping the fish. And it's not that I grew up like surfing or anything like that. <laughs> I'm not like that, that type of entrepreneur. I'm, I'm more of the, uh, the sort of geeky guy that had a bunch mm-hmm. of, bunch of fish. And so I started this brand of jewelry that was basically on, on the premise, and this was back in 2006. Um, and and in my entrepreneurial infancy, I wanted to start with the premise of donating money to ocean conservation. Um, and and I learned a lot through that journey. Um, I I ran that throughout undergrad, and built it into a, a pretty pretty reasonable solopreneur type of business that was making money. Um, but it never really filled my desire to to create something a little bit bigger tell me i'm curious about who were your inspirations what what did your parents do and like who inspired you to be an entrepreneur was it something that you always wanted to like when you were a little kid what did you dream of being you know looking back i I think my parents did a really good job at really letting me be totally curious and creative with 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 really only the constraints of keeping me uh safe and uh like having good ethics and morals and 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 just keeping me grounded but 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 really letting me me do what i wanted to do some of the things that i I look at now that i'm a parent i'm like i cannot believe that my parents (laughs) let me do some of this stuff and and i think that that freedom and that that flexibility in pursuing some of the creative things in my life whether or not that was like you know getting into tie flying which by the way, fly fishing in Singapore is not a big deal. Um, in fact, it's non-existent. So oh, wow. I was tying flies <laughs> in my room in Singapore just because I loved the idea of making little flies of you know that that would be used for fishing, eventually sometime <laughs> in my life. <laughs> um, or or you know raising fish or raising a bird, a stray bird, or you know uh, uh, starting a when I was you know seven or eight covering uh, felt bands with deodorant and making a deodorant bracelet that I thought would be a great entrepreneurial idea. Never really (laughs) did anything with that. I gave a couple to my neighbors and I think they thought (laughs) it was weird. All right. Well, you know, weird is good. Weird is good sometimes. (laughs) And, and my parents allowed me to be a little bit weird. And, And I think that, that definitely spawned the entrepreneurship spirit in me because I've never really thought about doing anything else. Like mm-hmm. it's never even crossed my mind when I was in school, I was doing it. When I, when I graduated, I was out of school, I was doing it and, um, never, never really occurred to me not to do my own thing. Yeah. And then, so you're doing the jewelry business, you mm-hmm. graduate college and then there's a recession. Mm-hmm. And then during the recession, you decide to start United by Blue, yeah, right? Yeah. So what's the what's the thinking there? And why did you want there to be a social enterprise aspect to United by Blue when you started it? So when I started 
the predecessor to United by Blue, it, it always had that idea of, of wanting to, to have a give back. And I really didn't know how to how to do good for the world through business at the time. So and when when, when you're a young entrepreneur, especially back in 2006, it, it, it was like, OK, you donate money. That's mm-hmm. how you do good. Um, I wasn't fulfilled by that. I didn't really feel like I was having an impact. Um, I didn't feel excited or happy to, to, to participate in that mission because it just didn't it didn't really do anything. It didn't move me. Um, and so when I started to think about what I wanted to do next, and this was, you know, I graduated in 2008, went right into the recession, changed the business a lot. When I was, I started to sell to like discount retailers, started to actually make more money than mm-hmm. ever before in the recession because the business was no longer selling to the smaller stores that were going out of business. It was selling to like TJ Maxx, Marshalls, right. all these, all these big box discount stores. And that further fueled my discontent with building a brand that didn't have a purpose and so United by Blue came out, um, the concepts for it started to happen in 2009, and then we launched in 2010 as a brand that was going to have a real concrete focus on ocean waterway conservation in a way that um, really, there was, there was social brands and there's, there's the donation-based model for one-for-one, one, but there was, no, there was no brand at the time really doing anything related to environmental activism with 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 the sale of our product. And so United by Blue came out to really be the brand that was going to basically fulfill my desire to have a concrete, tangible impact on the environment, but also create a brand that was going to be something that spoke to me as a consumer as well. I love the outdoors. I love outdoor gear and, and apparel. And I didn't love jewelry mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. <laughs> so this made sense then. This made Logical a lot of sense. Next step. Yeah. So what was the origin like? What were some of the hurdles you had to overcome? What were some of the biggest challenges? And what was also on the flip side, the first big success that you had where you thought, mm. oh, this will this will work. This could be good. Well, I mean, starting starting anything in 2010 was 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 a rough that was a rough time for, for this world. Um, we were still in the throes of recession at the beginning of 2010. And so a lot of the, the smaller stores, the ones that I was trying to break into, especially starting very, very wholesale focused because our business is built on relationships with retailers that can also become cleanup partners and, and sell the product at the same time. But all of those stores were, 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 were struggling to survive and I'm coming in and telling them to buy a new, a new thing. So that was challenging. Um, but it, but I think it really developed my sales chops early on and the brand's chops early on because for the first few years, you're basically fighting against the economy. And how do you convince people to buy in that economy? I, I think at the time, like, people, there, there was two factors and or a few factors, but two of the factors that I think are really, really relevant is 2010 doesn't seem like a long time ago, but in, in, in the grand scheme of like social enterprise or environmental, you know, entrepreneurship, uh, that was still early. Um, and there was, there was a compelling differentiating factor and there still is, but there was a really compelling differentiating factor when I was going in telling people what I wanted to do. There was mm-hmm. nobody else doing that type of thing when it came, especially with oceans and waterways. So, so, so that was a that was a driving force, uh, and I think also just it's relationships. Like, there's so much to be said about about developing relationships with your customers. And for me, my customers were retail buyers in stores, and I would spend just a lot of time in stores. Like, I've spent in my career now. Uh, you know, thousands of hours in retail stores, yeah. just just meeting with people, helping understand better understanding what they need and what they want, and that's dictated some of the development of the brand as well. I've learned a lot from stores that sell the product, mm-hmm. um, but but it still it still was challenging. You know, we had to be 
um, creative with how we funded the business. And, and for the first few years, especially it was, it was, it was very small and, and didn't really take off until, you know, three, four five years in. What was your funding structure? Like, did you seek out investment? How did you self fund? What was the, how did you go about kind of getting your feet off the ground? So the first three years, I was still running the other brand, mm-hmm. sort of overlapped. So that brand was actually funding United by Blue. Wow. So f- for the first few years, that that was essentially the funding source. Um, I, I eventually phased out the other brand. Um, and and then in 2013, I did do an equity round, a smaller equity round mm-hmm. locally with like Philadelphia, like angel investors. And then since then, we've also done some fundraising throughout 2016 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been an important part of accelerating our growth and allowing us to accomplish our mission at scale as well. What was the benefit to being able to fund yourself with your other business? Like, how did that help focus you also on United by Blue? Like, in what ways was that a beneficial thing as opposed to like going and doing like a Series A or whatever yeah. it is you wanted to do? I think it's, it's really a lot more fundraising is obviously a huge time commitment and and it's a huge, it's a huge challenge, um, for anybody, Mm -hmm. especially somebody that's running their, their first business and doesn't have the track record to have people throw money at, at it. Um, and for a business that's not necessarily going after like, you know, all the sexiest parts of, of, of entrepreneurship, like, uh, a retail business in in the recession (laughs) is not a very attractive investment. So I think what it does, what it did for me, early on was it allowed me to spend the time on sales and, and, and building the brand and building the mission and, 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 you know, going and and executing the cleanups with our retail partners, really that, that business model of, uh, having wholesale relationships with these retail partners as the cornerstone of both the, the, the financial model, but also the environmental model Mm -hmm. was something that really developed over the first few years. It was always, it was always the focus, but I would say that without those few years of, of, of slower times, lower sales, smaller, much smaller team, you know, probably three, four people, um, there wouldn't have been an opportunity to really bake that and make it, make it the way that it is now. Mm -hmm. And, and, And surprisingly since, you know, 2013 and, and, and onward our, our mission and the model of executing, everything that we do has stayed pretty consistent because of those those foundational years that we had. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. And at Mission, we're obviously a mission-driven company. We like to work with mm-hmm. other companies that have missions. Um, and I, I'd love to know your thoughts on becoming a B Corp and, and the, the way that you went about doing that and how important it is to be a B Corp, especially in the world today where yeah. the environment is in desperate need of, like, you know, help. Yeah, for sure. We were one of the first 300 or so B Corp. So we were early on in it and we're fortunate also to be based nearby where B Lab is, mm-hmm. is, is the red in the burbs of Philadelphia. So we had a, a direct relationship with like the founders and the, the founding team over there. So, so that was a really an exciting reason um, or really an exciting part of becoming a B Corp was becoming a part of that, that, that community of B corporations. Yeah. Um, but I would say that the reason why we became it was we're not, we don't have a singular focus or a singular measurable uh, thing at United by Blue that's that's measured on a on a on like an international or or even a national scale. Like mm-hmm. people aren't measuring their pound the pounds of trash that they take out of oceans and waterways. That's that's our thing. Um, so there wasn't anything that we could actually tell to the consumers from a more of a 
third party type of way that that we are a good company other than other than the self-imposed thing that hey we picked up a hundred thousand right. pounds of trash so b corporation was our way of having something that unified all the good that we were doing both in in the form of our mission as well as in the form of our product and what we're making in the form of the way that we think about building the business and the, and the people that are here so i think the, that was the most logical way for us to say okay this is the most all-encompassing certification that we can do um and it just also felt it felt right to be in a community that, of other people because we're not we're actually in in Philadelphia and in our industry in Philadelphia retail like it's not it's not a big industry so it so it opened our it opened our opportunity to a lot more people a lot more connections um, that share the same values sure and being a B Corp and being so focused on the environment and sustainability and you know ethically sourced goods that's obviously also a little bit more expensive to source your products. So how do you kind of weigh and go about making sure that everything is ethically sourced, sustainable, and that you're providing the best quality product at the best possible prices for the consumer? There's definitely a, a real challenge for any company that's making product and claiming environmental good. Yeah. Because and any company that says otherwise is is lying is we we have a tremendous negative impact on the planet by making product. Yep. And and we'll never we'll never hide from that. Even the good things that we make, even the most sustainable product that we make is going to have a negative impact on the planet. And so the way that we look at it is we look at making product the most responsibly that we can that that pushes the industry forward that you know doesn't just take sustainability even as a status quo like if, if if organic cotton is is considered the best alternative to conventional cotton does that mean that that's sustainable though mm-hmm. um or if recycled polyester is 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 good because it's recycling plastic water bottles but does that mean that that's sustainable like should we be should there be plastic water bottles to recycle <laughs> in the first place um so i think that the way that we look at things is, yes, we use recycled polyester. Yes, we use organic cotton. Yes, we use various different materials, um, all that have an impact. But we, but we look at, 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 at by being a part of the game, by, by playing in this world, we can actually be somebody that looks for alternatives that push the bar higher. Mm-hmm. And sustainability, like I said, is, it's, it's not what it is today is what it should be tomorrow. And actually, one person just told me something really recently that sort of blew my mind, even though it seems so logical. But the word sustainability is, is, is a horrible word. I know that it's horrible in the sense that like it's, it's like overused and things like that, but it's actually just a horrible description for what we're trying to do. Right. Because if we say that we're, we're, we're trying to sustain. You're not trying to make it better. We're not trying to make anything better. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, when you look at the world, like the world doesn't need sustainability at this point, it needs, it needs, it needs to get better. Right. And so we want to be a part of helping the world thrive and, and whether or not that's through improving the materials that we use and looking for better suppliers that we can then put money towards. You know, we spend millions and millions of dollars a year on product and, and that money, if it's going to the right suppliers, can become a part of making things better. Um, and then also when we recognize the fact that we have a negative impact on the planet through even the good things that we make, what can we do in addition to that to potentially have a chance of leaving it a little bit better. Yeah. And and that's through our mission and that's through picking up a pound of trash. It's not related and we're not creating that trash in the first place, but by doing something for the planet, we can we can know that at least we're we're doing something beyond 
potentially the impact that we're having. For sure. And the environment is a huge touch point for me. It's one of my biggest causes and I do what I can, whether that's like being on a more plant-based diet or shopping locally and, you know, using yeah. sustainable whatever is going to cleanups with you guys. I, I, I would love to hear about your cleanup experience and, and what that's like in the Philadelphia area. And then you've expanded, you know, you, you're on like road tours, you're cleaning up in all different cities now. Tell me about the, the cleanups that you all do with United by Blue and how important they are and what they mean to you. Ever since day one, so our, our first cleanup was the same week that we sold our first t-shirt. That was always the the, the, the purpose of, of the brand. And that's what United by Blue means. It means we're all united by blue. We, we come together and are unified around the blue parts of the planet because we need to protect them. And so the, the cleanups um, are incredibly important both from a, a, a consumer standpoint like they're they're where we get to meet people like yourself and we get to go out and 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 work alongside people cleaning up the environment but also because they're they're they can be high visibility and, and result in better awareness for 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 what issues are out there it's also really interesting to see how many people that come out into into what are their backyards you know whether or not that's like you know uh, a mile from their home or, or 10 miles from their home and, and they're and they're like holy crap like there's there's a lot of stuff out here and they mm-hmm. don't nobody really recognizes just how much plastics get into waterways and oceans it's insane it's insane yeah and um and it's and it's only sadly gotten worse over the over the uh you know the last 10 years of running united by blue although the awareness has increased dramatically mm-hmm. and so so you know we're not obviously the only reason for that but we're a part of that that cultural shift towards better awareness of the issues of single-use plastics and 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 the detriment to the planet that, that that they're having. So that's why our cleanups exist. They exist to to engage our, our consumers so that we can both have our for-profit and philanthropic environmental side collide and, and come together and leverage one another because our cleanups can pull out hundreds of people because we have a platform mm-hmm. that we built based upon product and based upon branding and based upon marketing and everything like that. So we're able to organize a cleanup in Philadelphia and get you know, 250 people out and it's amazing and it feels great. And it's, it's, it's not having any real impact at the end of the day on the, the macro issue of plastics getting in the mm-hmm. ocean. But it is when you think about the the number of people that then are talking about it or going home or, or being like, there was so much trash in that river. Force we have, multiplier. We have, to, we have to think about this yeah, a little bit more. For sure. Uh, switching gears a little bit. So you're the CEO and mm-hmm. co-founder, um, little kid selling fish. Did I don't know if you ever dreamed of being a CEO of a company kind of dealing with all the things that it takes to be a CEO. What does being a CEO mean to you? How has the role, how have you grown into the role? How have you changed as a CEO in the years that you've been running United by Blue? I probably didn't. I probably called myself chief chief trash collector early <laughs> on because I didn't I didn't necessarily feel like I was a CEO early on. And I think a lot of people when they're when they're running an organization of a few people um, avoid that association for multiple different reasons. But for me, it was because I, I just, I, I, I didn't really feel like that, that title was emblematic of, of, of the activities that I was doing. I've grown into the CEO role, you know, over the last nine, 10 years, because what C, what being a CEO means to me is, 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 is solely about leadership. It's solely about, you know, making sure that we're keeping this company and the people focused on the right things and, 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 and identifying opportunities for us to pursue that 
you don't necessarily notice when you're when you're in in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, one of my biggest challenges of being CEO is staying staying above the clouds and making sure that I'm I'm thinking about things a little bit differently because it's 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 always amazing to me. And the, the larger we grow, we're not we're not huge, but we're about mm, 75, 80 people. And but the larger we get, the more I realize just how important that that role is mm-hmm. and and how a leadership team around that around you know the the you know the, the different departments are so critical to keeping people on the tracks because humans are crazy beings we get distracted we 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 do things that don't make sense all the time mm-hmm. and, and leadership is what keeps us keeps us aligned how do you build the culture here what is the culture at united by blue and what is it like when you're hiring people, what are you looking for in them and what do you want to instill in them? I would say the, the culture at United by Blues is, is still very, very much um, entrepreneurial. We, we, we've we created a lot more structure around the company over the last few years, but I think that it's it's it still remains an organization where people come into and they're expected to um, they're expected to be entrepreneurs that that can go in and 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 make the make the most of their role and 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 their time here. So I would say the culture as a result is a, a very independent, uh, outgoing as well as direct culture. Like, like there's nobody here that should feel like they, they're, they're held back in terms of expressing what they think, you know, Hey, if, if we have like this, you know, plastic here on the table right now. Somebody should say that to me and like, there's some like, styrofoam cups there. There's some styrofoam <laughs> cups. And it's like, it's like, that's, that's ridiculous. And so somebody had a birthday party today and I'm going to go downstairs and we're going to talk about that. And so people can be direct and not, and not, and not worry about it, but also like to the point of like understanding that what's flawed is 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 not necessarily the fact that there's a styrofoam cup sitting here in the United by Blues conference room table it's that whatever happened the, the, the systems and the structure and the culture of of this is 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 propagating these behaviors even at a company that's trying to be the most sustainable company right and um and i guess from a cultural standpoint it's about being honest about things mm-hmm. it's about being like hey guys we're a band-aid to a bigger to a bigger issue, you know, we're not we're not going around patting each other on the back, saying that we're the saviors of the world. We're we're saying, hey, we're trying to build a real business here. We're we're trying to be entrepreneurial. We're trying to like sell product, but we're also trying to make the world better. And 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 therefore, everybody is 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 it has to be a realist about where we can put our efforts and what we can do to actually have a positive impact. Mm-hmm. What are some of the the biggest mistakes you've made or the hardest things that you've been through and, and what are the lessons that you learned from them that you take with you and then pass on to your your employees, to other entrepreneurs? What What is the lessons learned and the advice that you give? You know, I, I think to, to the point of like leadership and focus, I think still, and, and especially early on, my excitement of different things and different products and different projects has definitely hindered our our potential at times and whether or not that's early on wanting to do as many cleanups as possible even if the sales were not supporting it like that was a real thing we were we you know a year or two in we're like doing cleanups all the time and not selling nearly enough product and therefore the the cleanup model just doesn't work like people are not ultimately going to be able to continue to do that without some type of funding source so 
you know, making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm staying focused on the right things. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges in the, in the recent years has been in relation to the product line and the breadth of product that we've had. We, we, we struggled with trying to, trying to grow a little bit too fast and trying to have something for everything. Mm -hmm. And when we sat back and we're like, we have products that we don't need. Mm -hmm. We have products that aren't, aren't adding value to both the business as well as the mission. And it started to be just, you know, a, a couple of years ago, a real inward soul searching about what does United by Blue stand for and what should we be making? And I think that that moment was actually, even though it sounds fairly straightforward, was a huge shift in mentality that I had to have so that we didn't go in a direction that the company ultimately would fail. Because product diversity and not having focus and not not having the right things, it, it, it's a slow creep. It doesn't happen like overnight. It, it happens over years. And, and I think that that was a fork in the road that, that we've made a turn and we focused on what we wanted to focus on. And we've stayed true to that now in, in recent years. What brought you to that conclusion? Was that something that you saw? Was that something that somebody brought to your attention? Like, how did you, when you, how did you reach that fork and make the decision to go one way or the other? There's both like the, the pure number side of things and, and, you know, looking at things like skew productivity and how much we're selling of any given thing. But then there's also looking at the the industry as a whole and looking at the competitive landscape and understanding, okay, what 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 makes United by Blue defensible? And it wasn't necessarily so I guess to answer your question, it wasn't necessarily one specific thing. It was a combination of 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 data and a combination of then more of a, a competitive landscape of understanding, you know, and, and being able to look into the future, being able to say, you know, in 10 years, is this a relevant brand because of what we're doing now? And and I think when you start to think about the business that way, you start to see things that exist that might give you the, the short-term sale or the short-term high of success. But then you think about it in the long run and you see all the competitors that are doing similar things and you're like, it's just going to be a bloodbath out there in a right. couple of years. Everybody's doing the same thing, talking about the same product, doing the same graphics. And so you have to be proactive about changing, even if it feels like you're missing out on sales mm -hmm. or growth in the short term. And I think that that's something that we've become better at. We're not perfect at it, but we definitely have more conversations about what should United by Blue look like in 10 years versus how do we hit our sales goals for the year. So what's the answer to that question? What's separating you and what do you, yeah. what's separating you from the competition and what do you ultimately want to grow United by Blue into? So what separates us from the competition is that we are creating progressively eco-friendly products that are not just utilizing what is what is readily out there. So, so some of the things that even aren't even publicly out in the consumer world yet that that we've spent a lot of time doing is an extended line of our bison insulation products, which, which are great, which are really, really cool stuff that we've spent a lot of time pioneering and looking at sustainable down alternatives as a category that is constantly in need of disruption and opportunity for um, outerwear is a massive market because Many people live in many cold, cold places, mm -hmm. but those lightweight cold, those lightweight jackets are actually mm -hmm. a huge growing category. It's actually a true thing. Like the the biggest uh, growth category for some of the especially outdoor stores is in uh, lighter weight outerwear. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I think that 
what what defines us is being progressive in our in our in our in our aspirations to develop uh, innovative, sustainable product lines that are that are not just use, utilizing what the market is utilizing as sustainable, but mm-hmm. looking beyond that and saying, okay, what else can we do? What else can we bring to the table? And then and then making it defensible, making it something that is uniquely United by Blue. And Bison has become a uniquely United by Blue product line. Um, we also are looking a lot more at the 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 issues of single use plastic and and the creation of products that are that are diverting the use of single use plastics from from uh from from being used so mm-hmm. whether or not that's things like straw cases and utensil cases and the ensuing products that go in them or we have meal kits and drink kits all of these are newer products that are in the works but um beyond bags and backpacks it's like okay what is united by blues carrying concepts mm-hmm. and, and it can be related to single use plastics um and then also things, things that are that that are that are more mission related, and and looking at our mission is you know cleaning up trash is obviously not that defensible and unique anymore. Um, plenty of other people are are trying to do environmental good as well, but it's about using our platform to address the consumer side of the trash to start with, and then even looking farther upstream and saying how can we be a part of of stopping trash from even being created in the first place by the companies like us. It's about corporate focus, it's about consumer focus, and then it's about the cleanups. It's not just about the cleanups anymore. What worries you the most, either in a business sense or, you know, a life environmental sense? And Mm -hmm. and how do you go about dealing with those worries and, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other and working hard? You know, running a a, a retail company is is always challenging and, and there's always increasingly larger concerns the larger we get when it comes to our ability to continue to grow and, 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 you know, fund the business or work with customers that are buying increasingly more and and their solvency. And like you see every day now in the retail world, you know, this department store, that, that retailer going out of business. And those are real concerns Mm -hmm. as a business. Like we, we work with a lot of people that we rely on them to pay us. (laughs) Um, So, so the money side of business becomes increasingly um, larger scale as we've grown. Incredible. Even the biggest company cash flow is like the the big issue. Oh yeah, it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many millions of dollars you have in sales. It's all about how much you have at any given time and the cash flow that you're able to to utilize. Because um, you know, theoretical future cash of you know AR of what you've sold and the inventory that you have that's that doesn't pay the bills. Yeah, doesn't um, make much difference. At yeah. All. <laughs> so so I think I think that's that's always you know from the business side of things a, a challenge. I think from a from a business side as well making sure that as we as we add people and as we grow the team that we're doing so in a very thoughtful way um we just you know added several new people this year and we have a a number of new hires that that are that are slated for for later this year that you know those roles are so critical that we get them right Mm -hmm. and um it's amazing what the right person can do and what the wrong person can do as well yeah absolutely and then on a on uh what what was personal or environmental or you know overall level yeah i mean on a on an environmental side i've I've been really encouraged by what's happening right now in the world when it comes to people's awareness about what we're doing um the issues that we're addressing that is it's been something that actually sort of snuck up on us because yeah yeah, like when we started it was like not a conversation the bp oil spill had just happened people were like concerned about that People were like intrigued by like all the oil that was there, but I and I was I was always from day one saying, yeah, but we're dumping like tons of oil <laughs> equivalent into the ocean and nobody cares. And so I always thought that was really strange when that happened. Um, 
And then for six, I'd say six, seven years, like, like it's just been, it was the same. Like there was no difference between 2010 and say 2014, 2015 of what people were talking about Mm -hmm. when it came, you would get the occasional news article about the great Pacific garbage patch. You would get the occasional article about, you know, a plastic band bag that was Mm -hmm. happening in some town or California. But, but then, and then it just happened overnight. Like people started to talk about it. And I even just read an article about how people are more concerned or even talking about plastic pollution more than climate change this year. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's not that it's a bigger issue because climate change is arguably the the biggest issue, but it's more tangible. Yeah. It's something that people can actually sink their teeth into and say, oh, you know, I, I can be a part of. They can have an impact. I can have an impact. It's awesome. All right. Let's move into the lightning round. Okay. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready? Sure. All right. What is the best book you've read in the last couple of years? Never Split the Difference. It's a book on negotiation and I love sales and I love the side of the nuances that go into making a deal happen. And that was a really cool book. All right. What about content, whether it's movies, music, Netflix series, you're binging documentaries. What's what's the best thing you've watched or consumed lately? Oh, boy, I'm 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 horrible with music because all I listen to is the sound of rain campfires and thunder that's literally i at at my desk all day every day okay that's my that's my music um so for for shows uh you know i i have i have a a wife and two kids so this is this is us is is what we've been watching and you know it's actually pretty it's not bad it's pretty good it's a good show it's moving yeah exactly hits you hits in the field yeah okay what is your favorite app or time saver or something that you're doing on your phone that's Actually helpful. Uh, I've made wellness an increasingly important part of my life this year. So Run Keeper, going out and tracking my runs and having fun with that. Uh, favorite one day getaway in the Philly area. One day getaway. I think it'd be lame. To, it would be lame to say Costco, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do go there a lot. Um, one day getaway. Going out to like the Wissahickon and, and and just spending some time. It's actually in the in the city, but it's a uh, beautiful river and, and park. Nice. Um, I'm gonna put you on the spot. What's the best cheesesteaks in town? <laughs> um, it's a newer place. It's called uh, Carver's. Okay. And I really like it. Their 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 quality is just better than what you get at some of the more older places that are just touristy spots riding on their their Mm -hmm. names so i'd say carvers all right i'll go there after yeah when we're wrapped up uh all right last question what is a a piece of advice or something uh that you would want to leave the audience with since united by blues about about having an impact i I really think that the the best way to have an impact is 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 to not get caught up in the the negative impact that you as a human being have by your very existence. It's about, it's about thinking beyond that and thinking about that sort of 10 year horizon or that 20 year horizon. What is, what does your impact look like when you're, when you're on your deathbed versus mm-hmm. what does your impact look like on a day-to-day basis? Cause it's just like anything, it's like business as well. If, if we're, if we're measuring ourselves on a day-to-day or quarterly basis, we're, we're making short-term decisions that aren't always the best decisions. So I think, I think it's having that long-term vision and sticking to it is the best thing in business and and in life. How do you think uh, little Brian would feel about what big Brian's doing? <laughs> I think he'd, he'd think it was pretty cool. He'd probably th- he'd probably wonder why he only has one fish tank. <laughs> he only has one fish tank? No, yeah, how many fish in actually, it? Uh, 23. All right. It's actually my son's fish tank, so, but he's two. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. 
Mission.org is a media company with a daily newsletter, network of podcasts, and brand studio designed to accelerate learning. Head to Mission.org to get award-winning podcasts like The Mission Daily, The Story, IT Visionaries, Education Trends, Marketing Trends, Future of Cities, and more. Mission Studios has worked with companies like Salesforce, Twilio, and Katera to create custom media channels that drive results. Make sure to subscribe to the Mission's daily newsletter at mission.org. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.